Hi, everyone. Uh, Pastor Ryan here with Grace Church. I'm so glad you, you joined us today. Uh, today, uh, we're dealing with the question, why is Jesus coming back? Why is he coming back? And for that matter, why should I, why should I care? What relevance does his return have for me? I mean, is he coming back to, uh, to have a cheeseburger with us? Is he coming back because he forgot his sandals, he misplaced them, and he just wants to come back for tea? Um, you know, is he coming back just for a cute little visit? What's, what's the point of all this? Well, just put that thought on hold for a second. I just want to let you know that we've been in a, we're in a mini-series talking about the return of Christ, and my last message asked the question, before we even ask the question, why is he coming back, let's talk about, is he coming back? And so the last message was uh, responding to the atheist concern or question if Jesus claimed to have come back, or if he claimed that he was coming back, and it's been 2,000 years, should we, should, we, should we be sitting around and waiting around for him? And I concluded that, yes, we should be waiting for Jesus. We still can hope for his return. He is coming back, and we can look forward to that. If you're curious about that message, you can go back and check it out for yourself. But for today, uh, we're asking the question again, why is Jesus coming back? There's two reasons I'm going to share with you today, and I'll unpack them as we go. I want to start by talking about weddings. Weddings, and you might say, what do weddings have to do with the return of Christ? Well, just hold on, you'll find out as we continue. Weddings are an incredibly exciting time in anyone's life. Um, it's arguably the most important day, the most important decision you'll ever make to, to be with someone for the rest of your life. And weddings are often filled with celebration and joy and excitement. But sometimes there can be some contentious things leading up to the wedding. For example, one of the contentious things can be the invitation list. Oh my gosh, who do you invite? Who do you not invite? And man, if you don't do things carefully, if you don't communicate carefully, you can cause rifts in, uh, in the family and with extended friends and, and family. Uh, on, the other on the other hand, on the other side of the coin, uh, sometimes the, the bride and the groom and the parents of the bride and groom extend themselves and they invite as many people as possible and they're wishing and hoping everyone they're closest to will come to that wedding. And if uh, they have someone close to them that declines, Maybe they might respond and say, no, I'd rather not come to the wedding. I'd rather wash my car or walk my dog <laughs> or make up an excuse. Uh, that could be so devastating to the family. It can break their hearts. Uh, so invitations, whether people accept or decline or whatever, that can be a contentious thing. Um, but anyways, uh, assuming you can get past all that stuff, the wedding celebration is uh, it's just an amazing, special, joyous event and I'll bring you back to my, uh, for a moment, just for a brief moment, bring you back to, to my wedding, which took place about 15 years ago. We had an outdoor wedding um, in a place called Winona, Ontario. And it was on the lake at a wedding hall. And uh, it was a beautiful day. I remember the sun shining. I remember the sky being a light blue. I remember the lake was behind us. It was a deep blue. And the uh, the grounds of this wedding hall, they were just immaculate. Beautiful greens, beautiful colors, flowers, whatever. And, uh, you know, I was waiting at the altar. I was sweating in my tux, just like the other groomsmen were. And I was, had butterflies in my heart, waiting for the ceremony to take place. We were surrounded by friends and family. And we were waiting for the ceremony to start, and all of a sudden it started. And I was playing this exact song that I wrote for my wife on this exact same guitar. 
15 years ago. And at some point, I saw my wife walking down the aisle with her father, and her eyes locked, and I started blubbering, <laughs> as you can imagine. And I think my brother-in-law, he looked at me, and he was blubbering, and these were tears, but they were tears of joy. Maybe some sorrow, too, but mostly joy. Sorrow in a good way. And my mother-in-law, she was probably looking at my brother-in-law, maybe looking at me, and maybe looking at her daughter, and she was probably blubbering, too. <laughs> And whoever was blubbering, we had just all blubbered and we had a blubber fest. <laughs> but eventually my wife made it to the front and we did whatever you're supposed to do at a wedding ceremony. You said whatever it is you're supposed to say at a wedding ceremony. And I remember for me, one of the only things I remember about that ceremony was that I kept on leaning in to kiss my bride way sooner than I was allowed to. <laughs> way sooner than, the, than when the pastor said you may now kiss the bride. I was just eager to get on with kissing her and getting on with the rest of my life with her. And it, it, that was a day that just reminded me that, wow, I get to spend the rest of my life with this beautiful woman whom I love and I cherish. It was beautiful. And then we went the rest of the day celebrating, of course. So I put my guitar down now. Thanks for joining uh, me in my wedding and just a memory of that special day in my life. So what in the world, why in the world am I talking about weddings? Why am I talking about marriage? Uh, why am I talking about my own wedding? Am I trying to win points with my wife? Well, maybe. <laughs> but there's a purpose to all this. There's a purpose to all this. You see, um, when we talk about the return of Christ, one of the reasons why Jesus is coming back is to put on the greatest wedding celebration of all time. It's going to, it's to signal in the uh, the, the, the wedding that's going to eclipse all weddings. You see, the, the Bible describes Jesus as the groom and his church, the people who believe in him and put their faith in him uh, as the bride. Jesus is the groom coming back for his bride, and when he returns, it's going to kick off the greatest wedding celebration of all history, and it's going to be amazing. It's going to be unlike the weddings and the marriages that we experience in this earth, because unfortunately, sometimes... Uh, people can experience heartbreak and they, they break down. At other times, even when a marriage lasts a lifetime, it does eventually end through death. But the wedding celebration that we're going to experience with Christ, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a glorious celebration that's going to last for eternity, forever. Uh, those who have put their faith in him are going to be experiencing blessing and eternal bliss. There's going to be no more sorrow, no more sin, no more fear, no more terrors. And it's going to be absolutely amazing. We can be one with him forever. Now, if you were to take a step back and look at the Bible, and you were to summarize what the Bible really is, uh, you, you could say that in a sense, the Bible is one big, giant, fat love story. And the climax of this love story is when Jesus returns to come back for his bride to celebrate this wedding uh, celebration. It's going to be absolutely amazing. And so the first reason why Jesus is coming He's coming back for his bride. That's why he's coming, to celebrate with her. And uh, it's, like I said, it's going to be absolutely amazing. Now, I need to um, just explain a few more things to give this a little bit of context. Because when Jesus described this wedding, you got to remember, he was a Jew who grew up as a Jew who was speaking to Jews. And the way that they celebrated marriages were a little bit different than the way we celebrate and prepare for a marriage. And one of those main differences is the engagement period. 
the engagement period for a Jewish wedding was way more formal than it is today. What would take place is you would actually uh, have this, what I'm calling an engagement ceremony. Uh, the bride and the groom would be standing outside on the streets in a, in a public area, and they, they would be surrounded with their family and uh, any friends that maybe wanted to join, and maybe other random public officials who wanted to witness this, um, this engagement ceremony. And what would happen during this engagement ceremony, the bride and groom would, uh, would say out loud, would read out their intentions to want to be married, and they would read out the terms, and it would be somewhat of a legal, uh, official ceremony. And assuming they agreed to the terms, the very last thing in the ceremony would be that the groom would grab a cup, and he would pour some wine in the cup, and he would hand this cup to his bride-to-be. And the bride, it's really important that you, that you understand this, the bride had the free choice to either reject this cup or accept this cup. Now, she could look at this cup and look at her groom-to-be, and she could say, you know what? No thanks. I'm not interested. And that would put a stop to everything, and they, would, they wouldn't go through with any wedding plans. But... If she looked at this cup and looked at her groom-to-be, and, and if she said to herself, yeah, I want to spend the rest of my life with this guy, she would take the cup, and that would symbolize that the deed was done. They were now bound to each other, and um, they would look forward to the day where they can be reunited. And so at that point, they might call themselves husband and wife, but it wasn't totally complete until the wedding day. Now, the wedding day might take, uh, take place about a year after that day. And so the groom would go. He would go prepare a place in, in his father's home. He would, he would kind of build an extension to his father's home. He would furnish it, and he would make plans to prepare for the wedding day. And the bride, her responsibility was to make sure that she was ready for the wedding day. And she would go meet me with some bridesmaids. They would put together a dress. Maybe the bridesmaids would get their dresses, too. Now, here's the interesting thing in their culture, in their time. Nobody knew when the wedding day was coming. Nobody, not even the bride, not even the groom. The only person who knew when this wedding day was going to take place was the father of the groom. And so the father would inspect the, the building, that, uh, the structure that the, the groom was preparing for his bride. He would look at the um, other preparations, the, the wedding preparations, and when he sensed that the groom was ready and the bride was ready, he would say, okay, groom, go get your bride. And I imagine even before that, he, I imagine the groom, even before the father gives him permission and gives him the go-ahead, the groom was probably leaning in, kind of like how I was leaning into my wife during that ceremony, just, just wanting to kiss her and wanting to get on with <laughs> our relationship, just antsy to go be with her. But no one knew until the father said, groom, son, go get your bride. And the bride's responsibility, because she didn't know when he was coming, she would be sleeping in her wedding garments because she didn't know whether he would come in the middle of the night or in the middle of the day, but she had, her responsibility was that she needed to be ready for him. An absolute beautiful picture, which is actually a symbol. It's, it's symbolic. It points to the foreshadowing of what our relationship with Jesus is to be like. Jesus said in, in a passage that, that no one knows when he's coming back uh, not the son nor the angels, but only the father. And so in a similar way, I get the sense that I kind of wonder the conversations that Jesus is having in heaven with God the Father. And I kind of wonder if Jesus is kind of leaning into his bride and he's saying, I, I, I want to get my bride. Can I go get my bride? And I, at least right now, the father's saying, not yet, not yet. I, I know when. I know when. 
And one day, I don't think it's going to be that much longer, he's going to tell his son, Jesus, go get your bride. And so that's the first reason why Jesus is coming. He's coming for his bride. He's coming for his bride. I want to read a passage to you. There are so many passages we could look to when it comes to the return of Christ. I kind of was having a hard time picking a passage. But uh, I, want to, I want to challenge you. This passage is found uh, within a greater passage, within Matthew 21 to 25. And I want, you to cha- I want to challenge you. If this passage I'm reading confuses you, if it stirs up some curiosity, if it offends you, uh, or if it stirs up any kind of emotion in you, I want to challenge you to read uh, the greater passage within the passage I'm about to read to you. I'm going to read to you Matthew 22, where Jesus is telling the parable of the end times of his return. But in, in the midst of this, he's, it's surrounded with religious leaders trying to challenge Jesus' authority. They're trying to ask him trick questions to trip him up, to undermine his ministry, but it doesn't work. And then in uh, Matthew chapter 23, Jesus goes in the offense and he's ripping into the religious leaders, not because they were religious leaders, but because these guys felt they were good enough on their own without God. And in Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus talks about his return. He talks about the end times, and he shares multiple parables and stories of what the end times and what his return is going to be like. So with that being said, let's jump into Matthew 22. It's going to reiterate this first point that I share with you, that he's coming back for his bride, but it's also going to highlight a second point, a second reason why Jesus is coming back. And so the passage is Matthew 22, starting at verse 1 where Jesus is speaking, and he says this. It says this, Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. So he's talking about his return and this great wedding celebration that's coming. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Come. We're coming back to this invitation where the invitation is sent, but some are going to reject this invitation. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. Again, another urgent invitation to come to the wedding. But they paid no attention and went off. One to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king, noticed his response, was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite the banquet to the banquet, anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Wow. And so there's a second reason we see in this passage why Jesus is coming back. You see, in this passage, Jesus talks about how there's going to be judgment. And the second reason why Jesus is coming back is he, he's, he's, well, he's coming back to bring judgment. If you look at the other parallel stories and parables found in Matthew 24 and 25 and really in all sorts of other passages, there's all, there always seems to be two things that are going on. 
and particularly in the Matthew 24 and 25 passages, passages, if you read those, you see there's two things that happen. Number one, there is blessing, there is reward, there is celebration for those who are ready for the king. And at the same time, there is judgment, there is destruction, there is eternal fire, uh, punishment, there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, there is judgment that is coming for those who are not ready to meet Jesus. It's a scary thought. And you might be asking to yourself, well, hold, hold on for a second. I thought we were talking about love stories. You were just talking about you, yourself blubbering over your wife. How is judgment part of a greater love story? What's that about? Well, that's a great question. That's a, that's a phenomenal question, actually. And I want to respond to that in a couple of ways. First off, remember this. If we go back to that Jewish uh, uh, engagement ceremony, you may recall that I said that at the very end of the ceremony, the, the groom-to-be will hand his bride-to-be a cup. And you might recall that I said that she has the free will to choose whether she's going to drink this cup or reject this cup. And in the same way, God is giving you, the, the viewer, whoever you are that may be watching right now, he's giving you an invitation. He wants you to be at this wedding celebration this, 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 this wedding that will eclipse all wedding celebrations. And he loves you so much that he's giving you the free will to choose. What kind of a Jewish husband would force a woman into a marriage with him uh, when she wouldn't want that for herself in the first place? In the same way, God doesn't do the same. He gives you the free will because he loves you. What will your choice be? I, should also, I also want to respond and say this. I want to remind you that God desires all to be saved. He doesn't want anybody to experience punishment or, or to perish or to, 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 to experience this destruction that, that the Word of God speaks of. You know, like I said last week, Peter, one of Jesus' closest disciples, knew the heart of God in this matter, and when he wrote about the coming of Jesus' return, he said this, and I, I, I mentioned this verse last week, but I'll say it again. It's 2 Peter 3, verse 9. He says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. He's not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The heart of God is that he doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't want anyone to lose out on coming to this wedding celebration. He has extended an invitation to you to come to this wedding celebration. He really wants you there, and he would be heartbroken if you would decline his invitation. And so really, if, if, if one decides to say no to God, what they're in, in essence, what they're saying, they're saying no to what is love, because God is love. You're saying no to what is lovely, to what is pure, to what is admirable. You're saying no to everything that is good when you say no to God. And so God leaves that choice in your hands. But again, uh, part of the the other reason why Jesus is coming back is to bring judgment on those who reject him and those who are not ready for him. And so I want to close by asking a couple of questions, and I think I've already asked these, some of these questions already, but, but just, to, just to focus on these questions for a second. Are you coming to the wedding? And when Jesus come, comes back, he's, there's going to be an exciting wedding. Are you coming to the wedding? Are you going to accept the invitation? The way you do that is you come to the Lord with a heart of repentance, and you say sorry for for your sins and what you've done in your life, and you put your faith in Jesus and his death and his resurrection, and you commit to living a life that, that honors him. But let me ask this in a bit of a different way. Are you, are you ready 
Are you ready for the wedding? You know, in this passage, in this parable that I share with you, there was a man, it was, it was kind of an interesting character in this story. Uh, the Lord, he, he, he brought judgment, he brought destruction, but there was someone else who made it to the wedding, kind of. He walked into the wedding, and, um, and, and the master, uh, the Lord, he, he realized he wasn't dressed properly, and so he was tied hand and foot, and he was thrown out. What in the world is that all about? Uh, well, he certainly... I think, uh, you know, if you understand the heart of God, he certainly wasn't talking about your literal clothing. You know, there's other passages in Scripture which talk about how on Judgment Day there's going to be people who thought they were ready for, uh, to enter a relationship with the Lord for all of eternity. And they say, Lord, Lord, we did all these incredible things in your name. We did all these miraculous things in your name. And God's going to turn to them and say, I never knew you. And so my fear is that there's going to be people who think they're ready who think they're ready, they're well-dressed for the wedding, but they're not. And so, so what does it mean to have this proper attire? Well, it doesn't mean having the right clothes. What it means is having a proper heart attitude before the Lord. They're not someone who just gives God lip service and says, yeah, I believe in you. Yeah, I'm going to follow you, but your heart is going in a different direction. That's not going to work with the Lord. So how do, you, how, do you, how do we ensure that we are ready, that we have a readied heart for when he does return, that we will join in in this incredible wedding celebration? Well, let me just mention a few things here. This is not an exhaustive list, but are you walking in repentance? Uh, I seriously fear that there are believers, so-called believers, who uh, kind of are like the Pharisees. They think they are so good in their own efforts that they don't need God. And you know what? Uh, Jesus reprimanded those types of people in Matthew 23, which hopefully you'll read later. And he reprimanded them not because they were religious, but, be- but because they felt that they were good in their own strength and their own energy. A person who has a, a readied heart for the Lord recognizes, oh my gosh, I don't just need God in one moment. I need him in every moment of my life, every year, every month, every week, every day, every hour, every minute, every second, every millisecond, every micro millisecond, whatever is smaller than a millisecond, we need him in every single moment, every single breath of our life. And that, if that's not your heart attitude, you are not ready for him. It's not just the one-time prayer you say sorry and it's life insurance and you go off doing your own thing. It's a heart that says, God, I need you. I'm not good enough in my own strength. What else? A readied heart will want to commune with him in prayer. You actually desire a relationship with him because Walking with Jesus is not just about following a bunch of rules and checking off boxes and just hoping you make it in. <laughs> no, it's actually a heart that says, Jesus, I love you, and I, and I want to talk with you. I want to commune with you. A readied heart will also uh, be one who is quick to forgive. Uh, uh, they won't hold on to grudges. They won't be bitter with people. I seriously fear, this point alone, I seriously fear there are people in our churches who will not be ready for Jesus because they were holding on to bitterness and grudges way longer than they should be. Just think about it for a second. If God has forgiven us of so much in this life, he's forgiven me of so much in my life, how could I not extend that same forgiveness and love and grace to someone else who actually has disproportionately not sinned against me as much as I've sinned against the Lord? It just doesn't make sense. A heart that is bitter and unforgiving towards others is not ready for the Lord. Serious question. Who in your life do you need to forgive? Uh, Who in your life do you need to go ask for forgiveness for? Uh, Prepare your heart. Forgive people. Let go of things. 
A heart that's ready for the Lord is a heart that desires to walk away from sin, that desires to live a holy life. And I'm not saying you're going to be perfect in this life. Uh, You won't. But it's a heart posture that says, God, I don't want to define my own rules for morality. I don't want to be doing my own thing. I want to be, my heart wants to do what's pleasing to you and to do what's right and good and what you desire. And I'm not going to do it my own strength, but I'm going to do it with your help and your strength and your guidance. A readied heart is one who is willing to endure persecution. Uh, It's one who is willing to associate with Jesus, even if that means you might be mocked, even if it means your reputation might be on the line. So let me ask you this. Um, uh, are, Are you more interested in what others think of you or what God thinks of you? Is the favor of people more important to you or is the favor of God more important to you, even if that should mean enduring persecution? And I kind of, I'm wondering, I think we might be entering a time of history where it's going to be harder and harder to associate with Jesus. Are you ready for that persecution to come if it were to come? Where's your heart at? Who do you want to associate with? A, A readied heart is one who doesn't walk the Christian life alone. They don't walk it in a selfish way, but they realize that, you know what, if Jesus loves the bride, the church, then I should love the bride as well. And I should be Uh, giving, encouraging, sharing my time, my resources, my energy, encouraging others to walk with the Lord as well. A readied heart, someone who's ready for Jesus, the posture of a readied heart, will be one who who is looking and waiting with excitement and and, and anticipation for his return. And you know, if if you are uh, thinking right now, man, uh, I'm enjoying the things of this life too much, I'd rather Jesus just hold off for a little while. Uh, that is an indication that your heart is not ready for him. Because God is the giver of all the blessings, but if you love the blessings more than the one who gives the blessings, it shows that your heart is not ready. Where is your heart at? Is there anything in this life that you desire or, or love more than Jesus? Is it money? Is it your kids? Is it your grandkids? Is it, uh, I don't know, something you're looking forward to do next year? Is it some business plan? Man, if, if Jesus isn't your highest priority and your highest love, you are not ready for him if he, if he were to come at any moment. Again, the reason why I'm doing this mini-series on the return of Christ is because I truly believe his return is soon. I have no idea when it is, but I get the sense he's coming soon, and it's sooner than we think. And again, he's coming back for his church, his bride, for those who put their faith in him, and he's coming to bring judgment on those who have rejected him. And so I want to ask you this question as we close. Are you coming? Are you ready? Are you coming to the wedding celebration that's going to take place very soon? He wants you to be there. Will you accept his invitation that he gives through his son, Jesus? I want you to contemplate that question. Are you coming? Are you going to accept an invitation? I want to challenge you to read Matthew 21 through 25 as well in one sitting if you have the time. Well, may the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May his face shine upon you. May you experience his joy, his presence. May he encourage you. May he offer you some comfort if there's anyone out there who is experiencing some discomfort or discouraging times right now. God bless. Amen.